quick disclaimer or trigger warning at the top of the episode, we are going to be talking about uh, a couple of films that deal heavily with the topics of suicide, suicidal ideation, death, etc. We know these are hot button sensitive issues, and so we do not want anyone to be caught off guard by the content of this episode. So keep that in mind going forward, or if you decide not to go forward. in a movie the podcast where we discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity beer and movies sometimes achieving outstanding pairings but other times giving ourselves to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths my name is joe hilliard and as usual i'm joined by dave gurney carlos cooper uh, i want the beer in a movie listeners to tell me how to text huge like when you say as per you <laughs> that's a good how do question you sp- it's really fucking hard i have not figured out a way you're to spell giving it. them the opportunity well i'm to... a- i'm asking for personal reasons because i have not yet deciphered a spelling in which if i send it to somebody they will immediately know what i'm talking about uje let's move on doesn't work U-J-E. I <laughs> uh, like sesh or- S-E-S-H. Everyone knows, like, oh, S-S-E-S-H come over for a quick recording works, sesh. Right. You know? is tough. I've, I've tough. not seen that. Yeah, I think I, I'm just going to go full on usual. But, that's what, uh, I, that's what I've been forced to do. It's, yeah, and you really want to abbreviate when you can. I try my best as a millennial. Well, we, we try our best to talk beer and movies. And to do that properly, <laughs> we need the beer um, in, in that equation. And that's what we really like to start out with. Uh, today, for this episode... Um, for the first half, I brought us a return visit to a favorite brewery of ours, Ga- Garden Path Fermentation, out Ooh. of uh, the state of Washington. W- way back in episode something or other, we actually interviewed uh, w- one of the co-owners and uh, and founders of Garden Path Fermentation. David, I'm not going to look it up. It's in the 30s. I think there it's in go. the 40s, uh, like yeah. early 40s. Now i got to look it up. <laughs> so uh, and, and Amber was great, great guest. Uh, if you if you uh, are curious, go back and listen to that. But um, at Beer Prof or something like that, right? TV it, Beer Prof. TV Beer Prof. At TV Beer Prof. Yes. Um, but uh, they, they have uh, you know started distributing down here in Texas. Joe had brought us some mm-hmm. just a few weeks back. They bought it in Austin. Fairly recent episode. Um, I've actually been sitting on this for a little while. I had no idea it was quite as old as as it is uh until i pulled it out today from my refrigerator oh god david you're bringing a stale beer i don't know this is a, it was bottled or packaged in 2018 12 oh, wow. 12 18 so uh about three and a half years old now this is garden path fermentations honey tripled triple ferments they they like doing these uh, beer names that are kind of they call them garden path sentences where it's like you can depending on how you interpret the various uh, words especially the verbs and adjectives they could be a, a full-on sentence or it could just be a description but in any case this is what they describe as a Skagitonian Skagit Valley is where or Skagit I think is where they are um, the Skagitonian honey triple it uh, you know obviously has honey incorporated into it let me see if they have anything great on the bottle. They say this is all about change, and this barrel-aged triple is no exception. 
The local blackberry flower honey they use to make this barrel-aged golden ale starts out full of sugar, but the native yeast breaks it down, leaving only the delicate honey floral aromatics and a full, dry, smooth palate behind. They use hyper-local ingredients and 100% native yeast, ferment in oak, and blend to taste. Each of the products will lead you down a garden path to beautiful places you may not have expected to go. What a description. I see what they did there. Yeah. Lead you down a garden path. That's right. I am excited to get this open, try it out. I hope it has not suffered. I've had it in my refrigerator for a while I think this is our third time with Garden Path, and I think that it's... The first two were very positive. Yeah, I believe this to be the case. So the the triple here makes some sense, right? Uh, we can talk about why in just a moment. Yeah. Well, we're talking about the Ooh. film on the count of three. But I'm still getting a little honey vibe on, on the nose. This is encouraging, guys. Let me get a little bit of this in my glass so I can do the uh, ceremonial sniff. I like that glass, comment. by the way. Comment. Oh, yeah. Thank you for this glass, Joe. Yeah. Uh, is a Joe or a, a mm. Joe Hilliard glass? I broke your IPA glass, dude. <laughs> those are those are very are the, are the one you got uh, me for Christmas. Delicate. I, I, no, I, I mean oh, I, I, the I, one I got you for. Christmas. I fucking dropped it. I was oh. I was washing it and you know the water and this because we don't have a. Carlos, I know what to get hand. you for Christmas this year. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I and it. Uh, I was so sad. Yeah, I'm getting honey so too, sad. David. I can't wait to taste. Oh, it. I didn't even sniff. I got distracted by my shortcomings as a dishwasher. That's nice. That's nice. I'm very excited to. to get a sip of that so we are talking about on the count of three uh if you look at imdb it says 2021 because i'm uh, assuming it played at a festival or something it played but at sundance at sun oh yes. wow a lot so, of critical buzz at that sundance screening in fact won a screenplay award I isn't think. that so annoying about fucking movie the schedule making? is that the, like, the way that if, things will release in if the you're a filmmaker yeah like you got you showed at sundance people loved it a, almost a year and a half later people Normal people finally get to see it. Yeah, uh, what that and not on a big screen. Well, some uh, this did get a limited it, it theatrical release. Yeah, but not it, here. Not, not I in was town. I was talking to Josh, and I promise I'm going to synopsize. But I was talking to Josh about it, and he was uh, lamenting this kind of limited release. If it does well, then it'll go wider and wider and wider. Because then, at that point, you know it did well. You know people like it, and so you're have you have some kind of preconceived notion that you can't get around going into it seeing it tell me when we just move this to after hours but oh yeah this is the covid shift in cinema going you're right we should talk about and this it on is after going hours. to be a tidal wave of change yeah but um, we were able to watch this film on i watched it on prime about six bucks yeah, yeah it, was, I, it was six dollars i um, did it through apple but yeah so yeah same i think uh Gerard Carmichael, comedian, former uh, star and creator of The Carmichael Show, which ran for two or three seasons, I believe, that co-starred Laurel Howery, David Allen Greer, Amber West Stevens, um, he, making his feature film directorial debut. Uh, I know I just said it must have sucked for him to wait a year, but it's really quite great timing for him because he just had this stand-up special come out, Nathaniel, on HBO Max, mm-hmm. that yeah, has been getting, on after hours yeah. been getting a, a ton of, uh, of positive buzz. Yeah. And then he gets to drop this directorial debut uh, straight out the gate. And, and really, the, the, the premise of the film is simple. You have Val and Kevin, uh, two li- seemingly lifelong friends, or at least have been friends for quite Since some time. Since childhood, yeah. Yeah, uh, who are living their last day. 
It's the exploits of their last day on this earth. And that is because Kevin, who has historically throughout his life struggled with all sorts of different mental illnesses and uh, trauma, things that have made, you know, living a normal life difficult for him. The full extent of which you only learn as the film goes on. As the film goes on. um, Has, you know, on a number of occasions, has attempted suicide, but one pretty recently. And then... A week prior. Three days. Yeah, Yeah. you're right. Gerard Carmichael then breaks him out of the mental hospital, which he has been um, omitted, not omitted, Admitted. Uh, admitted to. Thank you. My brain is not working. And confined uh, to. He's, he's, he, yeah, yeah, he can't leave. Right. Uh, breaks him out, tells him, did you mean it? I also want to kill myself. Let's do it together Suicide today. Pact, yeah. yeah, let's do it together today. And on the count of three comes from, you see it pretty, I mean, it's actually the first thing you see, but then you come back around to it pretty early where they are going to shoot each other on the count of three. Mm-hmm. Kevin, played by Christopher Abbott, uh, it seems like a terrible method, by the way. That it's, as, from the opening, I'm like, this is absolutely not the way to do this. You you realize one of you is going to pull the trigger out of sync with the other one. It, at best, you're going to get one death. And as the other slow, guy is as be... slow as they counted, I agree with you. Yeah. But I think, anyway. Uh, <laughs> we're watching. But, and we're going to laugh about this. This is a dark comedy. It's a dark comedy, this is yeah. a serious topic. You know, we, we had a warning at the beginning of the episode. But this is a comedy. It, it is a Oh, you Overly know. comedy. So, so, <coughs> so Kevin dodges—not dodges, but like you know—he knocks Val, played by Flinches, Gerard Carmichael, yeah. his 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 arm out of the way, so he ends up shooting the wall of the strip club that they're behind, and says like, "Hold on, like you just told me this like thirty minutes ago. Let me at least have like one last day to kind of just you know, yeah." I, you know, I was just, he, I think he says 45 minutes ago, I was playing checkers with the schizophrenic, <laughs> like, give me a second, you know yeah. what I mean? And so then they decide that, you know, they're going to do some things or, you know, whatever on their last day. And then that evening they will then kill each other and, and themselves in a certain way. Um, and so, yeah, the, the film is that day. It is a comedy. I did laugh out loud many times and I did laugh at moments where I felt almost kind of bad laughing. I was like, this is kind of fucked up that I'm like laughing at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what, that's, yeah, that's what, that's what the and movie there's is. There's an escalating and, series of adventure. Yeah. And, and, you know, you have appearances by Tiffany Haddish, JB Smoove, Henry Winkler, Henry Winkler. Um, you know, so there's this other cast of characters, people from their lives, um, their pasts that kind of come in and out. Um, you know, a kind of wrench in things is that mm-hmm. uh, Val uh, finds out that his girlfriend, Tiffany Haddish, is uh, pregnant. And what is he going to do about that? And, um, you know, different things. But, um, yeah, that's what it is. I and, and, you know, I'll come out and say it is a really, really fucking dark movie that does make you laugh, which is very odd. And it's like kind of an odd viewing experience, but I really, really liked this movie. I thought it was very, very good. And Kylie and I both at the end of it were like, kind of took a second and we almost had to like catch our breath a little bit because especially the end is very stressful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're both like, that was really good. I actually really liked that. Like that, yeah. you know, and I also think that if anyone that was on girls, Christopher Abbott should be the one that's getting fucking Oscar nominations and working with Scorsese and doing all the shit. He is 
10, 20, 30 times the actor that Adam Driver is and how Adam Driver is the one that came out of that show and is like the leading man and Christopher Abbott possessor. I mean, every like everything we've yeah. seen this yeah, man he's, and he's, he's rushing. Well, you know, he's on his own trajectory. I'm not, I, I don't, I don't uh, need to compare the two. I, I think Abbott's got his own great uh, resume that he is building right now. I and normally wouldn't, but when we were watching, kind of like, oh, that guy was on Girls or like, like, oh, isn't he from Girls? Yeah. I think, she, I, I think that's what she said. Right. And I was like, I mean, I guess, but he's fucking crisp. <laughs> uh, he's good. Love him. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm not surprised that you like this film uh, because I like it a lot too. I mean, it's it's a it's a great dark comedy um, that goes in some directions that you can kind of anticipate based on just the synopsis, j- just based on the premise of two guys who've made a pact essentially and are living out their last day together. Um, and knowing that it was directed by Carmichael, who I know primarily is a stand-up comedian. I never really watched the Carmichael show, but I had seen at least one of his earlier stand-up specials. Yeah, he was um, a huge Norman Lear fan. Okay. Uh, like, loves that era of yeah. American sitcoms, and so the Carmichael show was very much a recreation of that. Like, in a time of modern families mm-hmm. and all these other single-camera shows, yeah. he was like, Three camera, he, he liked live the multi-cam you know. sitcom. Yeah. yeah so. Well, I, I'll, I'll probably go back and watch it at some point because I think that's another piece here is that I think this establishes for me Carmichael as a multi-talent kind of uh, entity that I feel like um, I have big expectations for now because he's both been able to deliver as a stand-up who goes into some places that I wouldn't expect a lot of stand-ups to go into. And now as a filmmaker who is willing to go into territory that I think a lot of filmmakers would be very squeamish and reticent to ever try to attempt. It's a tough project to take on. And especially as your first. Both in front of and behind the camera, right? Yeah. Like it's he's putting himself on the spot and I think he does so um, to great effect. Well it, it's a project that could have been done really poorly. Yeah. Because he did not write the script, Gerard Carmichael, and we talk right. about him at length in a after hours or two ago because the pedigree of this film is this Gerard Carmichael kind of vision and thought and if you watch Rathaniel his special which we all did um, you see him you see the content of that special is clearly through some work he has done on things that were traumatic in his childhood and it's similar in that he'll get really heavy pause for a moment and then say something really funny and so like just when you thought like oh man like are the jokes over like am i done laughing and and that you know it's and it's funny that even though they're separated by a great deal of time at least as far as when they were made and conceptualized uh that they are very similar in that way and you know what this movie i mean this movie balances that in an a way that I don't know that if you had pitched this movie to me that I would have thought could yeah. be done necessarily. But it, you know all, what I mean? but it also comes out at a time when we are in a society are seeing a dramatic increase in the number of suicides. Are we? Yes. And okay. I, we got an email. I got an email from the school principal that a student had killed themselves. The family had um, given permission for this email to be distributed and, you know, it, 
the, the film itself is fine and I highly recommend it, but I think it comes at a time when we're intersecting with a specific social issue that film will sometimes hold a mirror up to. Help me with the title. I never get it right. Rarely, never, sometimes, always. N- never, sometimes. Wait. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. It. But it was a film from two years ago, I think. Never, that, never rarely, rarely, sometimes, sometimes always. always. That's right. There you That's go. it. Thank you. And I think in that review. If that was coming out right now. Whew. I said, exactly. Yeah. I said, sometimes films are required to shine a light on issue because you can do it with art easier than you can with real conversation. Yeah. And I think what this film is going to do, and I hope that it does, based on the success of Nathaniel, people will watch it, and then the idea that talking about some of these things is completely okay to do. But it's, it is a very uncomfortable territory. Yeah, That's what makes it such a dark comedy, because we're talking about this thing that we're not allowed to talk about suicide. Sure, and... Like you know, like you said about never, rarely, sometimes, always is that what makes filmmaking and movies able to do that is that it's not, you know, you're you're going with somebody on a journey that involves these hot button issues or these sensitive mm-hmm. issues that are tough to talk about, and your entry point into it is a character, a person who is just like any of us. And so it's easier to get into looking at that topic in a more nuanced way or a more empathetic way when just like empathy is the baseline for how we watch movies. Like do you want to care about characters in movies that you're watching, you know, typically Um, there are some that where you're not supposed to like anybody, but uh, for by and large, they're supposed to be like a hero of a character. Uh, And yeah, so this one does it and look it's it's a strange movie to talk about because it's relatable to me oh it's completely relatable and, and to like me. but nobody wants to say that they can relate to anything that's happening in this you know that's like I, a tough I, I would love to go there actually because like for me when i was watching it and my maybe my only criticism and how it handles the issue is the way that gerard carmichael's uh, kind of narrative ending is is handled to a certain degree um, because when I knew like oh yeah I get this guy like I get what's going on here was when he was talking about he was telling he was explaining to Kevin that he wants to kill himself and Kevin's like you're just in a slump dude like you don't get to say that yeah. you don't like like I've earned this you but, know? We had, <laughs> like, but we had watched you know? <laughs> some kind of suicide attempt prior to that but moment he, a funny one too, which is like, I mean, not, I mean, it's obviously not funny, but the circumstances he finds himself in are funny because it's like, he's trying to hang himself in the bathroom by his belt, which is already a terrible plan. While yeah. his feet uh, can touch the floor. Yeah. You can yeah. abort yeah. the plan at any time. Yeah. And, but then his coworker comes in and is peeing, yeah. sees his shoes and is like, Hey, that Val, is that you? And then he just like gives up because he's just like, fuck me, I can't even do this right. You know, like yeah. this fucking guy, like I can't get away from him because he had already kind of like, uh, berated him earlier for taking too many smoke breaks and stuff. Um, but yeah, Kevin's like... a very office space, kind of smarmy. Yeah. Yes, uh, I like that performance. Yeah, and he's kind of the unaffected guy that's still getting a promotion anyway. Yeah, <laughs> there yeah. are some weird office space parallels there I hadn't yeah. noticed. But, but he's telling he Kevin all this stuff. To you. Yeah, he's telling Kevin all this stuff and Kevin's like, no, like, I've like, I've been dealing with this for years. Like, I get to, you know, I've earned this. You know, you're just like going through a tough time, man. Like, what are you talking about? 
And That's specifically the question that I have about this movie. Because I think that if that was done purposefully, the idea that... I'm sorry, David. We're, we're going over here. The idea that... David's the, too well-adjusted to really... The guy that it. earned <laughs> it. The guy that earned his suicide attempt. Yeah. When we find... Because what they do with their day, ultimately, is confront their baggage. To a certain extent, yeah. To a certain extent. And they take and There's, they visit they their responsibilities. Over things that they loved in the past, the the dirt bikes, the, the dirt you bike. know. The, but that. they kind of play with us in different ways with that too, because we think Gerard Carmichael's going to make things right, uh, forgive his father, but really he's just there to steal from him, or you know, not well, steal. No, but, he's he's there to get paid back. Yeah, <laughs> he is there yeah. to confront the thing that broke his relationship with his father. Sure, but the very thing his father, JB Smooth, who I've never seen do dramatic work and did a fantastic job. Who I've never seen as an unlikable person, and same with Henry Winkler, which we'll get to later. Oh, which yeah, was we will. very troubling to yeah. me. Uh, but but I but I think it was a brilliant casting decision especially jb smooth was very very good and i we, we got more out of him than henry winkler but what i'm saying is he filled it with comics is the yeah well yeah. the film is relatable in that like in that scene th- this is when i was i was i was in and i was locked in and i was like okay this isn't like a cheesy after school special this is like a very real look at this is gerard carmichael saying like yeah i think about it all the time and it doesn't scare me it brings me comfort like it's comforting to think of like oh i don't have to wake up tomorrow you know, and I was like, damn, that's a real thing that people think all the time yeah. and that I have thought many a time. And I think the thing that kind of with the ending or whatever, you know, because spoiler alert, Gerard Crime Carmichael decides that he wants to live at the end of it, even though he's kind of like shot himself in the foot in terms of the things he's done throughout the day. His life forward will not be pleasant. Yeah, and it's not. He goes to jail, right? Uh, and his daughter has to like get to know him via right these S- supervised visits, yeah. you know. Um, which which that moment is beautiful because it's just you're just watching them, and the camera slowly dollies mm-hmm. out, and then the film ends. Um, but I kind of, but I I wish they would have come back around and I like confronted the idea that he can have these thoughts and he can think these things and maybe even at one point think that it's something that he wants to do, but ultimately having the thoughts isn't the thing that's like bad or like detrimental to one's health. I mean, obviously you would like to not have them if possible, but they don't like close, they open that up and they don't close it. And I think that's a really important part of the subject matter that's happening here. And so that's probably my only complaint with it, but other than that, I mean, just I th- I thought that it was a. Well, what do you? I'm I'm still not clear. What What do you wish it had done? I mean, I don't know how to do it. I don't know what I how I think they should have handled it. But he he just deci- he decides that he wants to live, right? And it's not really grappled with the fact that he was so dead set on doing this a few hours ago, and then yeah. decides not to. And so I guess we as an audience are supposed to think that he never has those thoughts again. But if he had those thoughts, he took, in a a path, seri- he took a path toward that decision. If he had those thoughts in a serious enough way to actually like, you know, had his friend, Kevin, who does end up killing not himself, push the gun away, yeah, not, he, yeah. they would have happened. You know, he right. was a split second away. And this guy who was truly suicidal is like kind of whim that saves his life. And I just, I just think that's a kind of interesting and not not troubling but just like well, should have th- should have dealt I, with it in some way i think it i think i appreciate what it did in not giving us a pat answer about it because 
I think part of what the film did for me, and and yeah, I'll admit, like I I do not, I have not had to deal with suicidal ideation a lot in my life personally. It's not been something. I think there were probably moments when I was much younger, like through adolescence, where th- that kind of I think hormones are kicking in you get like these more intense kind of waves of emotion that I could probably as close as I've ever come to feeling like oh my god it's easier to to just not have to deal with this stuff like I just want to check out um but but since then it hasn't really ever been a a, a big factor for me I mean as as frustrated or upset or you know despondent as I might even get at some points it never feels like that's the thing but Knowing that this is something that people really struggle with, knowing that this is something that some people, it's a daily struggle, you know what I mean? Um, which which seems to be, you know, what we're seeing with the Kevin character here, yeah. right? The, the, Abbott's character, where he has clearly been, you know, flirting with this for most of his life, it seems, at the point that we see him here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and for good reason, as we as we learn later, you know he he was bounced around. You know he was an orphan. He you know w- had mental issues. His doctor molested him. Yeah, and, and and the foster homes that take him in that think that they can handle uh, dealing with someone that has you know right. that needs special attention mm-hmm. end up rehoming him, which yes. is a terrible thing right. that happens. Uh, right. Where. You know, his foster, uh, several foster homes, it seems, and foster parents gave up on him. Yeah. Meanwhile, all this other terrible stuff either had or was currently happening. So it's, yeah. and then on the Gerard Carmichael side, Val, you know, his dad beat the shit out of him and his mom. Mm-hmm. And so they both have these very kind of abusive and traumatic. They uh, do. They do. Right. But yet, yet Val hasn't, at least w- what we hear in the film, hasn't been somebody who's like flirted with or, you know, or thought about yeah. suicide so much, but has reached this point because of some other things that have gone on. But but I like that it, you know, what it's showing us is, you know, like it, as the film begins, Val is the one who's certain that this is the thing to do, right? Val is the one who's resolute, and which is strange because... He incites you, the series of events. Right, you know that Kevin, just three days before was right there. I mean, there is one of the funnier early exchanges is you've already kind of described in a nutshell where he's like, you know, I need a day. I need it's like you were you killed yourself three days ago. These are extra days. Yeah, like no, you've, you've already had, had extra, extra days. days. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? It's like you're already past this. Well, no, but I. He's wanna... almost making fun of him. And and I don't know because again, somebody who it cre- doesn't it creates confusion in each character's intent. Right, but but as somebody purpose. who doesn't struggle with this personally. I wonder if this film, to people who do, I, I mean, this is probably dangerous territory for somebody who's truly struggling with this every day to watch this. But I mean, somebody, like you've said, you've felt this in, at times in your life. Um, you know, seeing it, does it give you, does it not give you some perspective in like, there are those moments where it's going to feel like this and it feels like this is the thing, but you just wait a few minutes or an hour or two and you have an interaction and it can really change your perspective on the whole thing. Cause that's kind of what happened. I mean, that's what happens to Kevin over the course, or Val, sorry, over Val, the course yeah. of this film um, is Val has these interactions that eventually, even though they aren't all positive, <laughs> he yeah. has some pretty terrible interactions. I mean, his dad beats the shit out of his him. His dad beats yeah. the shit out of him. Like, um, re- but, like that, like but then, seeing JB Smooth be that brutal was yeah. jarring. But, his, his but fa- then Kevin his steps went into punching stance to relive something that they'd done prior to now. Right. 
but then Kevin steps in as his friend and sort of does the thing that he can't do, right? Yeah. And it, which is take out his dad. He uses the tire iron and he, you know, and he smashes him on the back and and, and takes him down. He hits um, him in the face. Yeah. Later, he kind of returns the favor. Yeah. <laughs> Again, this is dark comedy, people. Yeah. When when it comes to uh, you know Kevin confronting Doctor Brenner, the Henry Winkler character, the guy who's molested who molested him when he was younger. Yeah. And he can't quite, and he's actually. I mean, what an emasculating, I guess that's a way to put it, but just like to be there confronting your, you know, perpetrator, your, the monster in your life, holding gun, and the guy takes the gun from you and turns it back on you. He's just yeah. about to crumble in defeat, and then you have Val sweep in, yeah. and he ends it. You know what I mean? Well, he's yeah. He sees he Doctor Brenner potentially yeah. the situation. Yeah, he sees Doctor Brenner holding a well, gun I think he, over him. I think he actually perfectly interprets the situation. I think he sees that okay, the tables have turned. No, fuck that. Yeah, well, sure. Done. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, but but it, but yeah, I think yeah. but I think it's up for depending on the audience member whether we think Doctor Brenner's gonna kill Kevin. Oh no, I don't think Doctor Brenner's gonna kill Kevin, but. But, but that's Kevin, what I'm saying is Kevin's like, intent was to kill Dr. Brenner. Yes. And I but, I mean but, I'm not an advocate for murder. D- don't get me wrong. You're not? But if ever there was a time I that mean, I you're feel you're not even an advocate for the slap. <laughs> <laughs> if ever I'm not. I'm not. If ever there was a time was, was, if ever was there wonderful. was a time that I'm going to say I I can understand and I can that there's a oh, rationalization God. here, it is somebody who is as in as vulnerable a situation as Kevin was when he was a young boy like nine, being put yeah. into the care of this, you know, uh, uh, psychiatrist who then Did turns they the give tables. you in this creepy 30 second little piece. Oh, yeah. So it's, it, it's, it, it's a little bit longer than that. But yeah, it's like yeah. he's getting some OK advice and then it gets in like a sentence. It takes this turn. But right. but my point earlier was that when Val sees Brenner holding the gun over yeah. Kevin, he thinks, like, oh, shit, Kevin's in trouble. And so it's like Val thinks, yeah, no, that I, Brenner's about to kill Kevin. I, I think, I think you're, however you interpret that, I think it's a justified move on his part. Sure, at, the, at that point, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that we got to the uh, scene where Kevin tries to kill his former psychiatrist because the thing that puts him at a disadvantage in that situation is that he is a very anti-gun individual yeah. like he 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 references having made these posts about gun control <laughs> it makes and so, me feel bad so, about all, all those posts i made yeah, on social and so media. and so it's his ineptitude <laughs> with a firearm yeah. that leads to his downfall because he doesn't he forgets to take the safety off right to shoot this guy and yeah. so you know he the click when the gun doesn't go off that gives brenner enough time to catch you know, Kevin's surprised that the gun didn't go off and, you know, take it back from whatever. And there's a ton of hilarious moments around this gun with Kevin. Like whenever they're at the at, at the at the shooting range, he's like, wow, I think I get this now. Like, this is all. And, and he's, he's like and he's so psyched. Barely and hit the corner of the target. Barely once. hit it. And, <laughs> and Val's like, all right, now let's put it. Let's put that down now. And it's like having to, like, talk him down because yeah. he's getting so hyped. And then, like the guy at the gas station's being rude to him and like won't sell him the stuff when his friend is like gushing blood right. and he goes and gets the gun takes it inside still pays for his yeah. stuff <laughs> after holding this convenience store up which is funny but then yeah. the funniest part for me where i like really like had that david gurney guttural the entire theater would have heard me yeah kind the of david, laugh yes. uh is when he w- comes outside and they're about to get back in the car and there's like a 
nice like middle-aged couple just like <laughs> guessing so and he's like he's like read the constitution it's my right to bear this arm for some reason, for some reason <laughs> he yes, says yes. it's the for some reason that yeah. makes it really funny and oh like, it's great there's there's all those really good jokes around kevin and his ex- new experiences with yeah, this firearm yeah. that well, just like cracked and, me up the whole time you know and i one of the other little like sort of side commentaries that kind of goes throughout the film is you know obviously there's a sort of racial dynamic here right that that, that carmichael part, is a black man and yeah, you know Kevin's abbott a, is is a white guy and he's incredibly guilt like he every time he's talking about his own bad situation in life he's like but it's nothing like yours because yeah. you've been a black man you know and you've had to deal with it even the white mo- guilt is on display oh Especially once he gets drunk, and then he, uh, yeah, and then he's really like laying it on thick, yeah, while they're yeah. while they're in the car chase. The the car chase was one of the most stressful scenes for me, yeah, because there was clearly no way out of that. No, and Val very very stretches it out for so long, where I'm just like, dude, there is you you are you're you're done. You're yeah, at, there's no way that I mean, even even if you lose. Even if they lose your trail, mm-hmm. they know what they know. It's you. It's your car. Yeah, you know, like if maybe if you were in someone Driving else's a car, yellow Jeep. Yeah, uh, but like they they were following a specific license plate number. You know that, and especially once he ditches the car, they're like, oh, whose car is this? Oh, it's this guy. We got to go find him. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like you're never going to be in a right. you know. You're, well, this you're just prolonging the inevitable. But he's not a criminal mastermind, right? This this is all being no, done. I know, but we've I, I all seen him. movies. I, no, I get it. I, I get just, him looking back and seeing what the situation is, having to deal with his friend in the passenger side who's having a complete manic fit. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's tough. I, so and, so here's the essential question I was asking earlier, and that is like, there is a conversation when they reconnect, or Val asks kevin did you mean it did yeah. you mean it yeah yeah he says did you when mean you it or was it not suicide three days like, ago did you mean it is this real do you really want to die well he says matter of factly and it, he says did you mean it or was it just some like bullshit like for attention like right. you know, he, he like says if, it very matter of fact if i believe yeah. that you mean it i mean it i mean it right now yeah and so when they go behind the script club in a very ill-conceived way to do this suicide pact Although a valid point, 10.30 a.m. at a strip club, not super busy. Sure. Actually. Well, no, that's a fine location. Just the <laughs> yeah. method wasn't, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. The, the method, method yeah. made no sense. Um, Gives you a but good movie then, title, though. But before that moment, we saw or we understood their lives to be that, that Kevin had, quote unquote, earned it. And we learned later that he did. And he goes to unpack that baggage by killing the doctor that, you know, what did you call it, David? His... Monster. The monster in his life. Yeah, in the yeah. monster. Yeah. yeah. So he earned it, right? But when Val attempts suicide in a way that you're never going to commit, I guess you could happen, but, you know. You could, I think. Um, we don't know if he's earned it or not. We just know he has a job he doesn't like. Well, I, I think. And I, he's impregnated a woman and he doesn't we, feel. We yeah. don't know that. We oh, at the beginning. You're right. Later, later. We don't know that she's pregnant yet, but we do know that he's the reason it's not working. Yeah. Because we get some voicemail stuff where she calls him like a baby and he's yeah, sabotaging I mean, who it. Who doesn't have a like job that. they don't love and who doesn't have a relationship problem? Well, I think I think the I think the good thing So did he earn it? Well, no. So I think that the thing about Val's character that is so great is that he doesn't have to like 
it's a it's a good representation of people with very very serious depression because as a person who has chronic clinical depression sometimes you feel terrible and there's no reason mm. like there's no reason right for it like sometimes you just want to sob and there's no reason you know nothing the bad people ha- around you know know not what to do nothing to- bad happened yeah. You're not like, you know, behind on your bills, like nothing. You just feel like fucking shit for a week and don't want to get out of, you know. And so I think that Val's character seemingly having it together and still arriving at this place is, you know, you're getting kind of both sides of what somebody who arrives at this place might look look like. And And then what the film shows is, is that while childhood molestation at the hands of your therapist is trauma with a big T that mm-hmm. no one's going to argue that no one's going to yeah. argue with. Yeah. What we learn is that Val had an abusive father. We learned that. We didn't yeah. know that. He's just a yeah, guy a with ca- a job he doesn't like at that point and a yeah. girlfriend that's mad at him. Yeah. But what we learn is that he had an abusive father and then what we see is is that he takes his time, this last day that he's got to do something he can to to contribute financially to his child, his yeah, unborn child. Right. But she's not having any. Of. And so I think that that, to answer your question earlier, Carlos, is his path to, no, I want to live. Sure. Yeah. I've got to be better than the father that I watched my best friend hit over the yeah, head with a that, crowbar. Yeah. Or tire iron. Yeah. And I think, and I think maybe so my. So it demonstrates like big trauma with a big T, all caps, and then life trauma that makes us feel a way that. I would say we're supposed to consider small trauma, not real trauma. That's just life. But it's traumatic and it's horrible. I think your dad beating you is a capital T trauma too, as well. Yeah. Uh, Not maybe not all caps, but capital T for sure. Uh, Yeah. Grading it even right now probably isn't. You know, it's it's it's, well, no, but I'm just saying in the way that people would perceive that because because you're right, people do interpret these things that way. People do. That's what I see somebody and think like, oh, like what do you like? Literally, people say all the time, like, you know, oh, what are you depressed about? Yeah, and it's like, fuck you, I don't, I don't need to be depressed about anything. There's a chemical imbalance in my brain. You're married. Yeah, you've got it all put together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What we get to see is his life that seems he just got a promotion at yeah, his job sure. that's great yeah but now we get to see no there is a background here definitely and i th- yeah and i think that point has been made uh now via our conversation. shut up joe well, well we could just keep going in circles about it and maybe my critique was slightly um not very thought through because you're right you do kind of see it but it's not as explicit that you know how he arrives from where he does i just think that i guess where i was coming from was that you can have these thoughts and you can get past them. And then even though you're past them and you've decided definitively, I don't want to do this thing. Those thoughts might not go away. I guess that's the right. part that I, is that those are things that he may have to live. Well, with that's still, true. Right. You know? I mean, I, and there that was the part days I, in his jail cell where he's yeah. sitting there stewing and he feels like I should have just ended it with him. Yeah, I mean, and I guess that's the part that I, I thought or that I was thinking when we first started discussing this, because I haven't really talked about this out loud. Yeah. With anybody yet? I had and no, hold, but hold it's on, hold on. Playing in my and head all night, Joe. For Christ's sake, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is, is that is that 
maybe it would have been nice if there was a conversation about that or something. But well, I but think it, not me, necessary. And the, I I love the film. To me, the only thing that I would have wanted to see additionally to what I did see was. I mean, this is a buddy film as well. We didn't really like it's it's really about the connection between these two guys and how they've supported each other over the years and when they've gone to bat for each other. And like I said, there's like this reciprocal like when he's failing against his father, you know, th- there comes Kevin to kind of step in and, and turn the table when Kevin's failing against Dr. Brenner. Well, there comes Val, to, you know, the, and there's that moment there where uh, Kevin says to Val, like, you know, you remember when I was a kid and, you know, I would get into these and like and then you'd be like hey let's just go race bikes and it would distract me and he's like i really appreciated that that was like these like genuine moments of like that's what friends do for each other there are these like that life is hard but then you find people who understand you and you connect with them it's beautiful and and i would like to have seen something in that epilogue that told me what it was that Val carried forward with him that was like, you know, because th- that had to have been a huge loss for yeah. him. Like, you know, Kevin essentially sacrifices himself for him. He, his yeah. death ultimately, you know, is because he wanted to kill himself, yes, but it's also because he realizes that by killing himself, he's going to put Val in a better situation when it comes to prosecution because he can pin it on him. And he yeah. can say, you know, say it was, you know, this was his thing. And... You know, it's kind of implied. I'm sure that there's something more, but it it just if there was anything left there at the end where I was like, oh, I kind of want to see where where it is. It was that like what what comes of that bond that was really important to both of those guys when one of the guys leaves. Yeah, that's a good point because it is a buddy film, and I I hadn't really framed it that way in my mind, but yeah. it definitely was um, beautiful film in in a certain yeah. way. It's it's so weird to see something like this and dark, funny troubling upsetting but i think ultimately beautiful i mean i think yeah. i think carmichael uh achieved something pretty great and it, it, joe was right to point out that you know this is a screenplay by ari catcher and ryan welch mm-hmm. um who i don't really know but i know they worked on some series i can't remember ari catcher is a name that sounds really familiar yeah. for some reason. so i mean you know Kudos to them as well for concocting such a script. Good but script. the performance is here. It's, you know, this is something that if if suicide isn't a sensitive issue for you personally or a sensitive enough issue to keep you away, I think everybody could find something in this. Ari Catcher is the guy that co-created the Carmichael show with him. Okay, there you go. That's why that I so they, they a have a pre-existing relationship. Yeah, you can see that. George and that Carmichael show is a guy that is that unpacking. Rami, yeah, Rami, sorry, Hulu. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Yeah. That's right. I was say, you can see in the Rathaniel thing that Carmichael's a guy who's unpacking some baggage. And I think that this film yeah. basically demonstrates the idea that it is valuable to unpack your baggage, you know? Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's what they end up basically doing on the last day of their life if they go through with it. Just yeah. as just yeah. as Val decided not to, Kevin decided to. Yeah, yeah. and decided like, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah it's... Yeah. This anyway. is the thing I want to continue to do. Uh, but what I really want to do is unpack this beer. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was going to say, this is too delicate a film to really try to do a segue, but you still, I still were did able it. to pull it off. I am an All unapologetic right. broadcaster. Yeah, well, uh, um, it, you know, Garden Path Fermentation has long had my respect. And the fact that I could have a bottle like this that, you know, as I said, has been sitting around for three and a half years. I shouldn't say sitting around, has been aging for three and a half years. And we open it up and it tastes like this. 
Garden Path Fermentation. I love you. <laughs> I will ne- I will never be truly despondent as long as I know Garden Path Fermentation is making beer this excellent. I haven't had a bad one. No. What y'all think of the honey as the adjunct? So definitely on the nose. The, as with most honey beers that are made properly, mm-hmm. you, it's not like it's a sweet, no. cloying experience. Yeah. It's the not yeast like you're is eating drinking. the sugar up. Exactly. It's turned in. So I, I think I neglected to say it's nine and a half percent. It's a triple. You did, ne- you did neglect to say yeah. that when we started. <laughs> but it goes down it. easy. It goes down easy. Hence uh, the it troubling did. part. Dry. Dry as yeah, they say. It's yeah. uh, had a tremendous flavor. I, you know, you. You say honey as yeah. an adjunct, and my mind's looking for a thing. It's not that it doesn't deliver a sweetness, and it does. Yeah, but it, it doesn't have any kind of cloying honey to it. Yeah, I love uh, Garden Path. Yeah, uh, it's fun to know that there's these little pockets of these fermentation places around the country that are taking advantage of those natural yeasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the other? Um... Well, Jester King. In well, our Jester state, of King course. is in well, there. Oxbow yeah. in Maine. We we've had a few times. Uh, there's one. Uh, is it called like farm? Not farmhouse. Uh, there's a big one that pe- treehouse. F- Hill Hill Farmstead. Are you thinking? Hill Farmstead? Maybe yeah. that's what. I'm, there's one that's like people fucking freak. Well, out Well, that's about. the one that people freak. Yeah, I mean Hill people Farmstead? love treehouse, but they're more for the hazies. And yeah. The, yeah. Well, those. Reach- but Hill Farmstead's the one that uses the stuff, right? Y- like yeah, the they do a lot of sours. Stuff. They do a lot of farmhouse. Yeah. That yeah. I think is what makes those types of farmhouse beers, those regional ones, so valuable on the mule market, is because I mean, literally, it is one of a kind. You can't recreate. You that, cannot yeah. recreate it. It's all. And re- you can't do it regionally on purpose. You can't do it at a mass scale where no, it's going to. You know, it's it's got to be artisanal. It's got to be small. So Garden Path's on the list. It is. Absolutely. Especially since we're uh, seeing it distributed down here uh, on a fast pace for the the five-timers club. Yeah, they'll be there before we know. I mean, probably technically they are because I drank so many of their beers (laughs) when I was there on that episode. But yeah, no, if we're going to stick with uh, what we've had. But only one of the three of the current members of Beer and Movie had any of those, so we we can't count them. If not we were fair. still a four-person podcast, then we could flip a coin and decide if they count or not, because two of the four of us would have been. <laughs> but since Ethan has retired from broadcasting... Uh, you know, he dips in yeah. occasionally. I'm occasionally. We may see him again. I say we move on. we got a lot more yeah, to talk about. Yeah, a lot do. more to talk about. All right. Uh, we have another um, darkly light, darkly comic. <laughs> I mean, I don't yeah, know. No, it's kind of film. It's a perfect uh, pairing, folks. <laughs> yeah. When we come back. You, you, you're, you did that one so well just because I gave you that, uh, you know, sort of practice that version of, myself. Yeah. That, yeah, I boosted. I boosted. You, you, you were the pitch pipe. With the assist. Well, I'm going to boost us again, guys, because you can't start at 9.5% and go down from there. Oh, how dare I feel, we? There was a day, there was a time, there was an era <laughs> on this podcast where I think we were in pursuit. I think we actually... It's part of the whole craft beer scene that there was a time when we were all in pursuit of those higher and higher ABVs, and we wanted to see that average ABV keep climbing. 8.3. And and at a certain point, we kind of realized, that's folly. That's ridiculous. There's a limit there. You can't keep going. And yet this episode, in some ways, is going to be a revisitation of that era because we were going from 9.5% with the uh, Garden Path Fermentation 
review Honey the, Triple Triple Ferments. Thank you. Um, which was delicious. We all enjoyed. To another beer with honey in the title. So it's a nice tie-in beer-wise there. This is Honey Pot, which is a wheat wine from a brewery that we have certainly had on the show before, Barreled Souls, out of Maine, but with roots, some connections to Corpus Christi. Yeah. Um, Does and, it? Yeah, Joe, Joe can fill us in in a moment. Okay. Uh, he 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 knew Chris better than I ever did. Edge of my seat. Um, but this is a bottle that I procured back in 2016. So an, another connection to the first half of the episode, right? We were drinking a 2018 beer there. This is from 2016, but actually brewed and bottled in 2015. This is a wheat wine that was aged in rum barrels. It was only 300 bottles produced of this. Damn, limited edition. This is bottle, bottle 105. And guys, this one clocks in at 14.2%. We've made ABV. the right move. <laughs> Where, when you picked it up while you were in Maine? Yeah, yeah, back in 2016. Okay. Maine, the place to be. So you must have brought more than one home because you gifted me one of those. I, I bought a series of these. They did them in different barrels, okay. and I think I might have gotten two of each. There were some in whiskey. There were some okay, in that rum. That gift is still at my home, so I'm very curious to see how this All ages. Right. I did not get that gift. I don't think he... Well, he wasn't, he wasn't hanging out with you. I don't, you I don't think we were doing the beer thing but together Chris, in 2016. We're talking about Chris Schofield. He's the... Uh, he started... One of the barrel co-owners, yeah. founders, brewers. And, um, my... Fiance has family in Maine, so when we went up there, we uh, went over to Barreled Souls, and that was a beautiful place. And I think he's even moved and upgraded since then. But he is responsible for a few of the first round of this phase of brewing in Corpus Christi. He helped them out. He knew more about brewing than I guess most and locally at the time. And so a lot of the beers that we enjoy from our local breweries, I mean, he's got his fingerprints all in the design of those first tanks and you know that kind of thing yeah he moved to maine to start barreled souls and every single time i've had barreled souls it just i mean y'all get ready my socks could literally <laughs> in just a minute Thanks you know i think this, this is a special beer i do still like the pursuit of that higher abv but in terms of like the people that I regularly drink with in a non-podcast environment, there are very few of them that are willing to go there with me. Mm-hmm. And it has made those higher ABV beers harder for me to consume. You need I, friends. You need... I can't drink a bomber of something that's 15% yeah. or 14%, right. I'll, then I'll die. And I think that's <laughs> a theme in this episode, because we just talked about with On the Count of Three. It was It's a buddy film. It's a dark comedy. It's all that... Um, the film that we're going to cover in this second half of the episode that we're pairing with uh, On the Count of Three is also a buddy film of sorts, I think. Uh, it's about connecting with another human being. It's about developing a relationship. And it's a bit of a cult classic, I'd say, at this point. Uh, it, did you get the Record Store Day release of the soundtrack? I did not. Okay. I, I probably should have. That, that was one that I probably should have prioritized. Did you have copies? You must have. A yeah, couple? a lot yeah. of people asked for them. Okay, yeah. And I'd never seen the film at that time. I was just like, all right, whatever. Cat Stevens, fine. <laughs> if that's what I you get want, plenty yeah. of Cat Stevens records. If you want Cat Stevens, I, I can got, give you I got Cat Stevens Tillerman. for days, maybe. Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, if y'all want it, sure. Yeah. Well, if you don't know already, because of the Cat Stevens stuff that we're talking about in the soundtrack, this is Harold and Maude. Um, you know, th- this is a film that was originally 
uh, released back in 1971, directed by Hal Ashby, written by Colin Higgins, who wrote it as his master's thesis mm-hmm. um, when he was in film school. And crazy. Uh, it is a it is an absolutely crazy dark comedy about uh, a young man played by Bud Court, the titular Harold, uh, who is obsessed to some degree with suicide or at least staging suicide scenes. Um, whether or not he wants to follow through on any of that, w- we can kind of talk about what, what his motivations might be. Um, but fairly early in the film, we're introduced to him. He's also obsessed with attending funerals of people who he does not know and just you know being present for them. And on that uh, side pursuit of his, he happens to bump into, well, she, she really forces this meeting, <laughs> yeah. uh, Maude, who is uh, 79 years old as opposed to his, what, he's 19? Yeah, 19 or 20. Right. Septuagenarian. So she, yeah, right. So she's you know 60 years his senior, um, played by Ruth Gordon, who, who folks may know from uh, Rosemary's Baby and, and several other films that, mm-hmm. that uh, you know, this, this was kind of a heyday for her back in the late 60s, yeah. uh, early 70s as well. And they kind of strike up this really odd friendship, um, maybe even romance, uh, as they get to know each other and uh, Maude sort of introduces him to a different way of looking at life and a different way of living. Is yeah, that he, a good synopsis? Are we there? He's a life of crime. With, he's a life of crime. With death, she's obsessed with the notion of live every moment as if you know it's right. Grabbing life for all it's worth. Carpe diem. Suck yeah. the marrow from the bones. The whole thing. Yeah, it's it's an interesting movie because it starts off with Harold hanging himself, very, like very like, elaborately. Like actually, but actually, audience said no. What's up? Like, there's no trick wires or anything he's just nobody's able to survive yeah there's yeah, some he, there's a trick to it confusing there's got to be a trick to it yeah uh, well you know when they hung people from the gallows back in the wild wild west you know wow uh the thing the thing that really killed you was that it broke your neck the fall you know when the, the pressure thing, of the the rope hitting you or yanking when, you up the whip gravity pulls you down yeah breaks your neck right. and then over time if that doesn't do it then you'll eventually suffocate or whatever yeah. um so maybe without that force and without that weakening of your body from taking that, he was able to do it. I don't I but I, I found that an odd way later. I mean, there's blood all over the bathroom and he's like, you know, quote unquote, slit his wrists or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then all this other wacky stuff. Sets himself aflame. <laughs> though he's not really under the blanket. Yeah, you know, we, yeah. that doesn't get explained, but it's not important. Yeah. Uh, wacky kid. A, a showman of sorts. <laughs> of sorts. Yeah. Turns his jagu- jaguar into a, a hearse. <laughs> yeah. After yeah. buying a hearse. Impeccably <laughs> dressed. Always in suits and whatnot. Oh, yeah, because he's... Incredibly a, wealthy. I- I- incredibly wealthy. Um, you know, I got to say, I get it. Like, the mother that he has, anybody would... Uh, try to find some form of escapism yeah. from it. You know, this woman is out of her mind. Right. It, uh, tries to control every, everything. Yeah, social standing is everything. He's tries to control every aspect of his life, setting him up on these dates that he doesn't want to go on. Uh, I love that scene of her filling out that questionnaire for right. him. Too. For the computer dating. <laughs> she, uh, yeah, so the scene that David's referring to is, it's, you know, this film it was made in 1971. So, she refers to it as what online computer dating or something. Yeah, or computer not dating. not yeah. computer dating. Uh, which the fact that there was any computer dating service in 1971, I was they had to transfer by. the questionnaire to a punch card. 
Yeah. Yeah. So so she's so she's agreed with herself to sign Harold up for this dating service to try to find him a wife, thinking that that will help him uh, move him to adulthood. Yeah, rid himself of these adolescent fixations and pursuits or whatever. And she's filling out this thing. He's sitting there, and at first. She pretends as if she's answering the questions as Harold and is like, oh, do you like this? Oh, Harold, no, you don't, whatever. And yeah. then at a certain point, literally just starts saying like, oh, I don't like that. And like yeah. answering the questionnaires herself. And then and then what does he do? Does he like drop back in his chair or something like that? He does something. He shoots himself in the head. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah. know how another, that one works. Another of his fake suicides. Yeah. 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 Shoots himself in the head. And she does not pay. Just like when he's hanging and comes in, she just has a normal conversation with him while he's strung up from that news. And that. <laughs> but as but, odd as that is with him doing all of these weirdo things... What? Pull the mic closer to you. I was trying to see it. But. but as odd as that is with all these weirdo things that he's doing in the pursuit of death, one could say that Maud's pursuit of life is just as weird. Yeah, she steals a priest's car. Mm-hmm. She steals <laughs> a couple I mean, she, of cars. I mean, she steals a couple, but the first one is a priest, uh-huh. and, like, you know. She liberates she, a... She sit- steals Harold's car at one point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she picks him up in yeah. his own car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The, uh, she liberates city-planted trees in the middle of sidewalks and plants them out in the forest where they really belong. They, you know, she... Teaches him to play the banjo. <gasps> Hookah. You know, I mean, she wants to do everything. She wants to live life. Mm-hmm. So when Harold, who has the opposite view, meets her, of course, that's uh, obvious, like like an instant balance. Now, can it become some kind of larger than acquaintance thing? That's the interesting part of the movie to me, the idea that if we connect these people because of the requirements and needing a relationship... Does age even matter? And in this case, like, woo, way down the spectrum. Yeah, big age gap in this one. Um, let me just say before we get too much farther into this, that I had a very unpleasant viewing experience that I think has tainted my opinion on this film. Ooh. Uh, there was a point in my watching of this film... Were you at a retirement center? Where the pixels on the screen oh. got inches big. Oh. So where you could oh. like I could look at a, a like the pixel was a noticeable square oh. that I could see on the screen and I'm like oh I see what it's trying to do there. I have no idea why this occurred, but the entire film was blurry. There was never what a were point you streaming on? on Prime fucking okay. Bezos. Yeah, that's what yeah, it was on. Uh, yeah, me but too. the there was no point where the image was clear. There were varying degrees of blurriness, sometimes manageable, sometimes not. And the weirdest thing about it was I watched another movie right after it, Crystal Clear. Mm-hmm. So that would, t- this that, is, that would taint anybody. This is obviously not really having anything to do with like a proper film review or anything like that, but I just had such a hard time getting into it because I could not really see very much of the film and i mean you know sometimes i'll go with prime over something like apple tv uh because prime will power through some of the lower internet speed moments and not just like stop the film apple will stop the film Mm -hmm. until it can reach a certain video quality which my internet here is pretty fucking terrible. So sometimes that'll make a two hour film, four hours, you know? Mm, And so I don't always have the time for that. So I sometimes go for prime, but it's unfortunate because I felt like there were things in this movie that I would have liked better. 
had I been able to see it. So this was your first time watching. First it. time watching it. Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah, that, it really that, is. You know, it, it's uh, it, not that it's necessarily a film that is like visually full of splendor, but I think it it it's it is distracting from the artist's vision. It's no matter distracting, what. and it's it, distracting. and it's a very and it's purposefully composed shots. I mean, it's 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 a well made film. Hal Ashby is a um, was a you know very. Um, celebrated director i think for good reason he 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 had i love being there yeah being there is a great one a great he film. tackles content i mean this is a difficult film to make and get behind yeah Seeming... it's so unconventional you know it's going to be it's got to be delivered artistically and cinematically correctly and i think that harold demott is yeah in seemingly order to a, succeed seemingly a part of that new hollywood movement right am, am mm-hmm. i wrong about no this? doubt if okay. you consider a the time that it came out and you know what, David? Do we call it an alternative audience at that point? Well, it was. It, it was seen really the graduate like a, a few years ago. And, I mean, we're seeing content like that hearing is, the same song over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, happens. there you go. Right. This is what we got to get into. One of the things. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's courting a younger audience. Um, Emerging tastes, yeah. this this willingness to go into darker areas, knowing that cinema and, can be different than what my mom was watching, and to not give us dad. pat conclusions because I mean we we do get a conclusion with this in in a certain sense, but but it's also left fairly open. Like it, what has this whole experience done for this young man? Like he's clearly made a transition, but what does that mean in a in a lasting way? The movie's filled with imagery that I've never seen before. If I've walked into a movie theater prior to this moment, yeah, that's the 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 progression of suicide attempt. You know, they Mm -hmm. become more and more comical as you become aware of what the joke is, right? And then, I mean, the mom is just this great throughput of lunacy, you know. And then when they meet up, and I mean, is this going to become a thing? And how do I feel about that? Right. You know, the age gap is this thing that we've created. Yeah. Well, how do I feel about this? But right. God dang, she is so attractive, you know? <laughs> I mean, not in a conventional 30-year-old... No, but Bud Court's not really attractive in a conventional... No. Yeah, he's, you an know, odd, he's an you odd-looking know. fellow. He's got vampire makeup <laughs> this, on the whole movie. This is probably yeah. about as cute as he ever was. Maybe, maybe a couple of his films after. He but looks he, a little too young for the role right uh which in the beginning took me a little while to because he's very quiet in the beginning yes um but once he starts speaking more and his voice is kind of deeper i can like i i I get to where i can go there with him where i'm like okay yeah this kid's 19 or 20 but before if like the voice that came out of his mouth would have been like god bless us (laughs) i would have believed it i would have been 14 i would have been like yeah that would that makes sense based on the way that he looks yeah (laughs) you know yeah uh but yeah so i was able to go with him a little bit uh as as the film went on but yeah it is a it is a strange movie oh absolutely i mean this is sort of you know again it's a cult classic i think partly because it's very hard to recreate what this film does, which I think we've done a good job with our pairing here because, you know, on the count of three, maybe as close to this film in some sense as I've seen since this film. You know, this this was one of those films. This that was went, a little more lighthearted. This one was more lighthearted? Yeah, a little so. bit, a little bit. Um, 
And, you know, but this was a film I remember seeing when I was a teenager, probably in my late teens, and really being kind of floored by because it felt like both an old film, because I was watching it circa probably, you know, 1998, 1999, and like a film doing something that I had just never seen before, like a vision of the future or something. Like, nobody tells a story like this. No, right. Where did this come from? And it didn't create a template that other people could follow. I mean, Hal Ashby never made another Harold and Maude. Well, it also not... bombed at the box office, so why would you try to duplicate well, that? There... But, it, but it grew in stature since, right? It, it, it gained yeah. its reputation in the, in the years. It got a big bump by something about Mary. Yeah, when yeah. When she says, I love Harold and Maude. Right. I mean, there was a whole really? generation of, yeah, there was a whole generation of people yeah, that it's, sought that movie out at that moment. It's something that's been referenced in, in various ways, but that, that being one of the important ones, I think you're right. But it's, again, it's sort of built in stature over the years where I still don't think this is something that can ever be a template for a filmmaker, but it, but it is uh, an indication of w- how differently you can do something, right? I mean, like how much you can take these elements that seem like they shouldn't go together and yet actually pull it off. Yeah. I mean, it, it shouldn't work. It's a ridiculous May-December romance. I mean, you're t- a 60-year separation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a woman who is so old that she's planning her own death, which, you know... Doesn't it take place over like a couple of days? Yeah, it's... it's Well, because, yeah, when you meet her, no. she's saying it's, what, two or three days to her it's 80th at birthday? Least, it's at least the uh, interview for the dating app, the dating yeah. computer dating, and then two or three dates, which would have taken a little while to put together. I would say I she bought a, he bought that monstrosity of a car, then she bought some, buys another car. But he, when you're rich, you can do things quickly. Yeah, it's several I, weeks. I feel like she did say, like, that her 80th birthday was... That, fairly soon you're yeah right. you're right yeah that's that, how soon i don't i don't remember yeah exactly, it's it, but it, it's not a it's long not like a year time. or anything no no not even a month i don't think maybe yeah. that like she a couple she, weeks it's, it's coming up she's not belaboring the point that she's planning to kill herself but we find out you know spoilers she folks. does say that though right but but she doesn't you don't she know she says how to a lot it. of things yeah right you don't know exactly how to take it at the funeral she says like oh 80 is a great age to go out at and explains why and then i don't remember exactly 75 what she's is too young 75 yes. is too young 85 you're just counting the days 80 is the perfect age and then she says something about her 80th birthday coming up and i don't remember exactly what she says but she says something that alludes to well regardless, like oh i've only got a few more weeks or you know like when whatever she, when she tells the audience and and uh harold what she's done i'm not surprised by it at all yeah you know mm-hmm. but he certainly is because oh, yeah. he's finally made a connection Right. Which is the only, which is exactly what he wanted, and, he, and he's going to marry her. At it's this what point. his mom knew he wanted, knew he needed a connection, but yeah. she just went at it a way that you know was contrary to his desires. So he had to go do it his way. Well, he's well, yeah. she was trying to force it on him, like she's tried to force everything in his life on. Well, him. and he, and he's the quintessential kind of character who just <laughs> mainstream society does not have anything for him right nor he, does the military yeah. <laughs> well that's part of mainstream that's a society wild, that's we a haven't wild even talked scene. about his yeah. uncle is you know lost his arm in world war ii while being alongside general <laughs> Patton? uh MacArthur. MacArthur, MacArthur, yeah. MacArthur. yeah yeah my timing was off there no the, the close so he's got this like made up outfit where when he pulls the string on the left side his heavily starched arm will 
create this weird salute where he can salute. Yeah, right. And it's That's just I clearly I played that. for. Oh yeah, the Kubrick the style parody here. You know. Yeah, yeah. The little strange love kind of in there. That's no yeah. doubt. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it's such a funny combination of different elements here. Which, like I said, like this is. Harold and Maude is the only Harold and Maude that you will ever see. There's not something else that, like, again, we can compare it to things, but it really stands alone in terms of telling this kind of story. And there's lots of problematic stuff in there. You know, don't get me wrong. The the age gap, the way that they relate, like, you know, there's lots of things that probably to our contemporary sensibilities seem off. But... But there's something so deeply human about the whole thing where, again, this this young man who clearly does not fit in doesn't find others who share any of his... And it, we don't even really know what his interests are. All we know is that he's not finding anybody else to connect with. And out of that desperation is staging these fake suicides which we kind of take as probably more a cry for some attention. It seems like he's trying to like get a reaction out of his mom. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's trying to make her life as hard as he feels. Because she's so placid because she's just so like he can do anything. And her reaction is going to be like, Oh, Harold, you know, and move on to like, well, let's get you signed up on the dating service. And you know, like that, like, there's no... Please be down for dinner at eight. Yeah. You know, like th- he's he's hanging from a noose, and she's telling him what time he needs to be dressed for dinner. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean... It's just funny. He's floating dead face down in the pool, and she just does another lap right next to him. Yeah. Because, I mean, she knows it's all artifice. Right, right. But but that he finds somebody, or that Maude finds him, right, who is so different, so counter to what his mother is... So counter to all the people, and we don't really get a sense. It's not like they build up this social scene that he's part of, but one could assume what he would be exposed to as part of this kind of ultra-wealthy mm-hmm. um, background that he has. But that she comes in, turns everything on its head. Is Billy Madison based off him? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um you know, it's it's just this like incredible breath of fresh air, and to have the breath of fresh air be somebody who is literally at death's door by her own choosing mm-hmm. is is sort of just this like amazing master. It's like that she can have this philosophy that's about like again carpe diem, seizing the day, doing everything that you possibly can. Um, you know, uh, seizing every moment as if it's the last. Right up until the last. Um, but then as the film goes on, revealing things about that character. She's a she's a survivor, right? She was in the camps. Um, she, uh, you know, had these other experiences. Like, she's lived a full life. An incredibly... Or she came close to a situation where she realized... If I can get out of this, I want to live a full right, life. Right, right. Like she was put about as that much store. life as you can. I want yeah. to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. Tom Skerritt, just real quick, <laughs> as the motorcycle cop. I looked at the the credits when the credits mm-hmm. rolled. He's credited as another name, which is just oh really? To what, what is he credited as? I, it's, I, don't, I don't remember. Uh, the motorcycle co- cop gag was really funny. Yeah, but Tom Skerritt just plays it so so great. Yeah, she steals yeah. his bike. Yep. Which is fantastic. Yeah. 
I think we all liked Harold and Maude then. I mean, how can you... I was kind of lukewarm on it just because of my... I had a hard time engaging with it. Um, But didn't love the soundtrack, but liked it more. uh, Okay, yes. We didn't really address that head on. A few, you know, not that long ago, we were talking about The Graduate and the use of Simon and Garfunkel and kind of recycling these... A, th- yeah. a song or two over and right. over and over. And this yeah. film does that in spades. I mean, it, it doubles down. This is down. us from the past. Trans- oh, we, we've traveled that, into the talking? future. No. Well, that's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, we're going to talk about Eventually. the graduate, folks. <laughs> about the and when we get around to that, you're going to hear Carlos does not Complain. like that Simon and Garfunkel comes up multiple times. It, but it wah, didn't bother wah, you as much wah. with Cat Stevens. It's all right. Hey, welcome to that. broadcasting, baby. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, it's fine. I mean, I I like those songs well enough. Um, you know, it it was what it was. But it's not so well, far they even removed play from ver- the graduate. I mean, she plays. There, there's there's the, different versions of the me. If you want to sing out that that uh, yeah. you know, Ruth Gordon does a version of. Uh-huh. He ends the film doing a version of him. Bud Court is playing a version yeah. of it towards the end. Yeah. So the, as he's decided to embrace life more fully. Yeah. The the end is interesting because we see him drive his car off a cliff, and then think maybe he's killed himself. And then we see him looking down at the car. Mm-hmm. So he didn't drive the car off the cliff. He just like sent it off the cliff. Right. And then he. Skips off through the meadows while playing his banjo. How the fuck he got home from that far out? I don't know because he was driving for a long time and right. he set himself up to walk. He stole of the car. Most I was going to say very... yeah, he probably attended a funeral down the road and stole the car. That's and right. Yeah. It was. It, it, he it learned was well. very. It was. It was very impractical. It was the opposite of on the count of three. Yeah. Uh, where it has an uplifting, nice kind of ending. Yeah. And it didn't well, go so dark. David, I loved your review. The idea that there are films that are one of a kind. Sometimes they're executed poorly and sometimes they're executed well. Uh-huh. Greatly. And I believe that bigly. this is the latter. This is executed bigly. <laughs> and it's a one of a kind, not just, I mean, subject matter, mm-hmm. direction. I mean, casting. It was, I, I, I am so glad that we chose this one. Me too. I'm I'm excited that it gave me an excuse to watch it again because it had been a few years since I had seen it, and it it just is. It's just a singular thing, and and you you can yes you can make connections, and we are making a connection here with on the count of three, and I think that's valid. But but nonetheless, it is its own thing, and and you're they're only, very different films. Yeah, you're only ever going to see Harold and Maude when you watch Harold and Maude. Are you only ever going to drink Honey Pot? When you crack open that 2016 bottle of Honey Pot, which it, this is the last one that I have, folks. So, so you called it a wheat wine. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but it, it reminds me of a barley wine. Well, that's it's similar. The idea is that instead of using like malted barley, you're using the wheat, like much like you would like a Belgian wit, or you know, you're using okay. wheat as the base to do the fermentation, but you're using so much of it that you're getting up into wine territory with the ABV. So, okay, 14.2%. It comes out darker than any wheat, anything I've ever seen. That's true. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it, it's pretty dark in color, again, like a barley wine. Yeah. Um, it's like that black lager. Didn't get to have that one. And I, and I, I think like, like barley wines, people tend to think of them as kind of sweeter. And, and, and there's definitely a sweetness to it. Yeah, not as sweet as a barley wine. 
It's undercut. Yeah, for uh, barley wine devotees. Uh, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. I, almost, <laughs> I almost couldn't say it without laughing because I was trying to do a, a Joe impression so hard. And I just, anyway, I psyched myself out for it. Yeah. Um, would like this. I I do kind of like this. Um, it. I'm getting some of the barrel on there, which is yeah. nice. Still, it's I'm sure mellowed out a lot from when mm-hmm. it was first bottled, but I still get a little bit of that. Of that. It's 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 a little bit sweet. Um, I'm uh, yeah, into it. Into it. I uh, I picked up a uh, wheat wine. Uh, shouts out Sombrero Galaxy, and I. I got it from him, and uh, he brought it to the shop, and then that's my Carlos. That's, 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 that's <laughs> yeah. Like Harold and Maude, this is a one of a kind beer. I mean, clearly, we're trying to figure out even what the style is. Yeah, with, yeah, with the wheat yeah. wine on the thing, and fourteen point two. Yeah, this is barreled souls has delivered yet again. I want to just you know say shots and, out and to I, our boy Chris. And honestly, I think this is one of the first things that they ever bottled. I, I, I think this was very early on in the brewery being open, so yeah. it's kind of a look back. You know, look back at this film that was so unique back in 1971 when it landed. Nobody could make sense of it then. Barely makes sense of it now. I think a beer like this is one of those things where it's like when it drops, do your best, folks. Get your hands on a bottle, one of those 300 bottles. Try it out. Share it with your friends. Make those human connections like you I wonder, need to. I wonder how many haven't been consumed yet. Like how many question. are still out there? Probably I, not might, many. Might be one of the last. How many hours many? away would you need to live away from Barreled Souls before you didn't drive up to go to some kind of a limited edition thing? If Barreled Souls is in San Antonio, would you go for a limited edition Oh, sure. Edition yeah, job? yeah. I'd, I'd try to. Yeah, occasionally. Yeah, absolutely. Austin? Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, I've I've Houston? gone to I've gone to Jester King before, and I'd put them in that kind. I'd of I'd swing Waco. No, 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 that's a different category. Dallas? That's a beer you definitely love. It. That's a brewery you definitely visit when you're in the area. Okay. Yeah, that's a different okay. criteria. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, if you're close enough in Maine, go check out Barreled Souls. Check them out. Um, this uh, wraps up another episode. One thing I want to say before I get into the whole spiel is that I saw the unbearable weight of massive talent. I saw the Northman. I listened to the episode. I listened to the Patreon. And so I really think our bonus episode this week is just going to be us doing that episode again, but with me. (laughs) Oh, I thought it's going to be you reviewing Uh, our episode. No, no, there is a little bit of that that's going to happen. But if 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 that's something that you are interested in, if you're titillated by the idea of us revisiting those two films with me in attendance, because I know that. You know, I'm, I can't wait. I'm the marquee name. Uh, uh, that's because you write the name in. That's because I do write the name in. Uh, you can check that out on patreon.com slash podcast. $5 a month gets you a bonus episode every single week. But of course, our favorite thing about the podcast is that the conversation does not end when the episode ends. It continues on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer and a Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer and Movie TX, Beer and Movie Podcast.com has a link to the Patreon. It's got a link to our merch. It's got a link to our Discord channel. It's got all of these curated episode groupings that Joe has put together of uh, directors that we've discussed, the All Horror October stuff, uh, thematic kind of groupings of you can find the beer in a movie that's right for you and dive in if you are newer to the show and trying to explore the back catalog. Um, but yeah, don't sleep on the merch. 
don't sleep on the Discord. Lots of fun stuff happening on the Discord. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, it really helps the algorithm do what it do. Um, but don't just leave us that five-star rating that we know you're going to give us. Leave a written review. And someday, I might review your review on the show. Which it has it's been. It's never happened. Acute, well, nobody's left a review. Nobody's left a review. People have left I, reviews. You get, you, but not since I started saying that. No, probably not since. Not since said. I started saying that. <laughs> I, I check back periodically. Well, and I, yeah, and I stopped saying it because it had been a while since anyone had like left a full written review. Okay. Well, uh, folks get to I got it. called out. Um, I wondered how you were going to handle that. <laughs> I, I, I had nothing to do with that, Carlos. That I know. It was all Gurney. I know. He's, he's out to get me. Uh, this has been another comically depressing episode of beer in a movie until next time guns give insecure men the illusion of power 